Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. The entrepreneurial journey, the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial story always starts with hours and hours of work and late nights and what you have to give up in order to be successful. And we know that the failure rate in businesses is super high. So you have to work hard. You have to take action. You have to do things that um, other people won't do. But why? Why put in that ridiculous time and effort? Why try and do everything at yourself? Why not? Buy a business. If you can buy a business that's ongoing and learn how to grow it and make it better versus starting from scratch, are you going to be much further ahead? My guest today, Believe So, has a system to do so. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Appreciate you listening today. Want to shout out to C-Suite Radio for hosting the show and all the great things they do for entrepreneurs in the country. And to my sponsor, Network Together, which is a nationwide networking group where you can meet other entrepreneurs as well as potential clients. If you go to ntevents.net, they have online events for people all over the country, all over the world. Carl, Alan, thanks for joining today. I'm really excited about this different viewpoint of entrepreneurship and what people can do and take advantage of opportunities in the world. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure. You're very welcome. I, I love the topic. I love the different view that you have over the traditional work really hard, stay up late at night and build a business. As you were getting started, you went the traditional path. You had a more of a corporate job. You worked with some of the, the world's leading companies and then you transitioned. Tell us a little bit about that start and transition. Sure. So I, I graduated in 1992. Um, I originally was a my degree was in structural engineering, but I, I never really saw that as my, uh, as my final path. So uh, on graduation, I went to work for an investment bank. So I went, I went to work for Bank of America in the mergers and acquisitions team. So I was doing deals all over the world for the likes of Boeing and GE and IBM and Microsoft and, and Lockheed Martin. And uh, I did that for a number of years. Then um, I, I left and went to business school so I, I, I got my MBA from the University of Chicago, and then I worked in private equity for a while. So these are companies that invest in, um, in other businesses that are privately owned. And we invested in a technology business, which we later sold to Hewlett Packard. It was a software company. Um, and I went along to HP as part of the transaction as one of their mergers and acquisition principles. So I had a great time at HP. I was flying all over the world. I was buying businesses, some of them, you know, 10, north of $10 billion. So HP had a, had a huge budget to make acquisitions because if, if you own a big business, um, it's a lot easier to grow by acquiring other businesses. When you're publicly traded and you have all your, your, your shares available and your cash available, to do deals. So that, that was my job. I, I was doing that. Um, and then 2008, uh, 1st of February, 2008, my, my life and my world completely changed in a heartbeat. So I was, I was in a boardroom in Moscow and I was working on closing a deal. We were buying a, a printing company for HP 
And my wife at the time was 36 weeks pregnant with, with our son, Josh, uh, who's almost 13, be 13 in February. And um, I thought it's perfectly safe to travel because um, Josh was still cooking for four more weeks. And uh, the phone rang and I'm in the middle of this pitch and I'm trying to close this deal. And my phone is ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and it's my wife. So eventually I picked it up and I said, you know, I'm in a meeting. She said, well, you better come home because I'm going to hospital. Josh is on his way. So I literally ran out of the boardroom. Luckily, I had my phone, my wallet and my passport with me. Uh, I didn't take my luggage. I think my luggage is probably still there. I just left it. <laughs> I ran out of the building. I hailed a cab, which in Moscow is not the easiest thing to do. I managed to get to the airport, flew home. I had a police escort from the uh, airport in the UK to the hospital, and I made it just in time to see my little guy kind of pop out. And, you know, I'm cradling him in, in, in my arms, and, you know, I'd not been around that much during pregnancy. I I spent a lot of time in California where HP was headquartered and I was all over the place doing deals. So I, I kind of realized that, you know, this is not what I wanted in my life. I wanted to be with my family. You know, I had a newborn son. He needed me, my wife. Um, so I quit. Uh, I called my boss and I quit. I walked away from seven figures of share options and I retired. I retired at 37. I, I'd, I was financially free. Um, I, I'd done very, very well uh, in corporate mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I went right the way through the dot-com era where we were making you know, really good bonuses. It was a great time. So I, I invested that money very wisely. Um, and I retired. I was 37. And, and I only lasted, Adam, about three weeks. Uh, and really, <laughs> struggled. really, really struggled. I, I'd gone from 100-hour weeks flying all over the world to changing diapers. And I needed something to kind of continue to fuel me. So I sat down with my wife one night, we opened a really nice bottle of red wine and I said, look, honey, what am I gonna do? Um, I'm gonna get sick if I don't do something. She said, well, you only, she said, your biggest problem, Carl, is you only have one skill set. Uh, you're the, one of the best in the world at buying and selling businesses. Um, but I didn't want another job. I didn't wanna work for anybody else. I wanted freedom. Um, and I still wanted the ability to, to continue to create wealth. So I decided to become a business broker. Uh, business brokers, if you don't know, are agents for small businesses. So they're like a mini version of an investment bank. They essentially broker deals between buyers and sellers, typically in the $1 to $10 million revenue range for businesses. So I set myself up as a business broker, um, I found a business to sell, but the sellers didn't want to sell to a competitor. They wanted to sell to an individual that would um, cherish the legacy of the business and safeguard the employees and, 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 and grow the business and keep the brand and all the goodwill. So I just turned around to the two brothers that owned it and I said, look, um, I don't know much about the transport industry because it was a transportation company. Uh, was doing about $5 million in revenue. It's very profitable. I said, I don't know much about your industry. I said, but I know how to put deals together. I know how to raise financing because this is what I've been doing all my life. So I said to them, I'll buy the business. Um, I said, but I'm not going to put any of my own money into the deal. My wife won't let me. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the balance sheet of the company 
with the assets and the cash flows of the company to raise some financing. And then I'll also be paying you part of the deal over time. And that's called stellar financing. And I explained to them that I would share the ownership of the business with some of the key employees that would help me run it. And they were thrilled. They were absolutely thrilled. They, they were getting some money for the business. Um, they were able to retire, which was their outcome. And their business was there continuing to thrive. All their employees were safe. All their customers were safe. And, and it was a win-win deal. It was a win for me because I bought the business um, without spending any of my own money. It was a win for the sellers because they were able to sell and retire and get some cash. And it was a win for the company because it was continuing to trade in the way that it had been set up 25, 30 years ago. So that became my first deal as an individual. Um, the, the kind of the fancy Wall Street term we use for the deals that we do, they're called leveraged buyouts. Um, I did a bunch of them back on Wall Street. Um, but essentially what I've done is I've taken the LBO model, the leveraged buyout model, and I just packaged it up to work with, with a small business. So a one to $10 million revenue company. And what's really, really interesting is it, it works very similar to real estate. You know, there's a, there's a concept in real estate called OPM, other people's money. People buy and sell real estate without ever investing their own capital. We're doing something very similar, um, but obviously it, it's a different process because you're buying a business versus buying a, a property, so to speak. Yes. Today, um, so so that, that was my first deal. Uh, that was back in 2008. Since then, I've bought and sold lots and lots of businesses in the US, the UK, and Australia. Um, I'm the founder and co-owner of a private equity fund located in the United States with my partner, Adam Markley. And then um, my other business, which is called Dealmaker Wealth Society, um, we coach and mentor over 5,500 students that want to do deals the way I do them. Um, so we're, we're, we eat our own cooking, if so to speak. <laughs> so we're, we're coaching and doing at the same time. We're doing our own deals. Um, we are coaching and uh, mentoring our students. And in some cases, we end up partnering with them. Uh, they'll be in one of our programs, they'll find a great deal, uh, maybe a little bit too complex for them as their first acquisition. Um, and we get involved, we'll close the deal for them, and we own it 50-50. So, uh, so it's a great, great thing that we do. No, it's wonderful what you do in, in, in the way that not everybody wins, right? You win because you get a cash flowing business, the employees win because they don't have to look for other jobs. The business doesn't get absorbed and, and people need to sit on pins and needles waiting to see if, if, their, if their role is going to be, um, I guess, jettisoned because there's somebody at, at the current company or at the new company that may already did it. There may be duplication. And, um, and now you have students that you're teaching to do this as well. I want to go back to that 24-hour period when, where you were in Moscow, right? You wake up in the morning and you're working on, on a big deal that you're closing and 24 hours later, you have no job and a new baby. Was yes. <laughs> it, going into that morning, when you woke up in the morning, was there honestly any inkling that this was going to happen? Or was it more of a timing thing where you're like, I'm going to do something different. I just don't know what day. Or was it a, an epiphany of like, 
yep, my life just changed 100% in 24 hours. It was the epiphany. My life changed 100% in 24 hours. I, I woke up that day. Um, I, I was feeling a bit groggy. We'd been out for a, for a team dinner that night. Um, probably drank too much vodka. Um, so I had a late night. Uh, I was a little bit fuzzy. And uh, we, we were getting through the day, closing off this deal. And then the phone rang and everything just completely changed. And, you know, I went into panic because um, I, I, I just thought how bad I would feel. I, I thought if I, if I missed the birth of my son, it would devastate me for the rest of my life. Um, you know, and it, 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 you know the, the way I'm, I'm a very alpha male kind of character, but, you know, I'm, I'm a big kind of family man and I love my family dearly. And whilst I was out there, you know, bringing home the bacon and, and building a wonderful life for us financially, I, I had neglected, I believe, um, you know, my, my family in, in those months leading up to that day. You know, I'd, I'd not been around. I, I'd, I'd not been to the scans with my wife. I was out there closing deals and, and doing all that stuff. You know, it was my passion in addition to my, you know, my, my working environment. And it, it, it really, it really took such an epic event to have me just completely realign my values and just completely realign what I truly wanted in my life and what, what my life kind of meant for me. Um, and, and it was the easiest decision I ever made just to call up my boss and say, I'm sorry, but I'm done. Um, I'm never coming back. Um, and obviously, you know, I had bonuses and options and a whole bunch of different things racked up for me, but I didn't care. Um, it wasn't a financial decision. Luckily, I had some money. Um, it was more a case of doing the right thing for my family. Yeah, and I love that. And I think we just came up with the, the title of your next book, How I Changed My Life in 24 Hours by Carl Allen. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> can be, can be, can be uh, the, the autobiography that, that kicks off whatever the, the third part of your life is going to be. So you, you, when, you, when you have this opportunity for this, the business that you bought, the transportation business, was, again, was this a new career or was this a business opportunity? Like, did you say, all right, I've got a business plan. I know I'm going to buy and sell these businesses. I'm going to do it over and over again. I'm going to eventually have a coaching program and teach other people how to do it. Or was this a one-off deal that grew? Yeah. So, so that, that's an awesome question, Adam. So, so what, what kind of happened was I, I, I was faced with the reality that, um, you know, I only really had one skill set, which was the skill set of a deal maker, the skill set of, of, really professionally buying and selling businesses. And whether you're buying and selling a billion dollar company or a million dollar company, it absolutely makes no difference. The, the process is, is identical. Um, so I, I knew I could broker deals um, as a one-man broker. And it, it was just the opportunity presented itself that the, the business I was looking to sell, I, I had some big trade buyers, some big competitors that you know, would have paid a lot of money for this business because it was very profitable. But the owners of the business just didn't want um, a competitor acquiring the business, asset stripping it, changing the brand, getting rid of most of the employees and, and destroying a legacy that these two brothers had, had created with their blood and their sweat and their tears over 25 years. So 
I was just, you know, right person, right moment. Um, and what I'd learned growing up on Wall Street and brokering all these businesses is I, I learned that the owner of a business doesn't necessarily have to be the manager of the business. I'd come across so many owner investors, as I call them, people that owned businesses, but were never working in the businesses. So didn't have the technical knowledge uh, that was required to, you know, to run that particular type of business. They could hire general managers and, and incentivize them you know, to, to drive the bus, so to speak. Um, so once I realized that, I thought, well, I can buy this business. I can incentivize the management team inside of it to run it for me. I can give them some of the ownership of the business. I wasn't paying for my equity. I was buying the business technically for free because I was not using my own money. I was using bank financing um, and then paying the seller over time, which is effectively free money. So I, I was able to kind of pull that deal off. And, and then what I realized after that was that um, a lot of sellers, particularly in the small business space, so in that kind of one to five, one to $10 million range, a lot of those sellers, about 80% of them actually, they value things like legacy and, and employee safeguarding and, and, and customers and brand and culture. They, they value all that stuff in some cases more than they do the physical cash that they're going to receive when they sell the business. There's always entrepreneurs that want to sell for the highest amount of money and they don't really care about what happens to the business. And, and, and that's fine. I, I just don't uh, entertain those types of sellers, those types of business owners. I'm looking for that, that highly motivated seller that either wants to retire or they're frustrated, burnt out. They could be sick, could even be dying in some cases, sadly. And structuring a deal where they see me and my partners as that safe, trusted, highly credible pair of hands that can take the business on to the next level. When, when, when you look at the average small business owner, and, and in the United States, um, baby boomers, they, there are 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day, according to the Wall Street Journal, and a ton of them own small businesses. So you've got thousands and thousands of businesses every day coming to market. There's, there's like 2.4 million small businesses for sale today, right now in the United States. And, and only one in 11 of those businesses, you know, are going to sell in the next 12 months. So you're able to find deals, talk to these sellers and determine which of those sellers want an individual or individuals to take the business on. Because if, if you started a business 20, 25 years ago and you've grown it, made it successful and your children don't want to inherit it from you, they're off at college being doctors and dentists and lawyers and so on. And as a seller, you, you're, you're faced with having to sell that business to fund your retirement. Then uh, what's interesting is a lot of those sellers, they've spent more time in their business than they have with their own family. And, and I, I can kind of relate to that a little bit to when I was in the corporate life. So they've put blood and sweat and tears and time and energy and soul and heart into that business. They don't want to just give it to somebody who's going to rip it apart, no matter how much they're offered. They want somebody that's going to love it and cherish it and nurture it. Um, so that's what we do. We find those sellers where 
they have those values and that's their outcome. They, they want a safe deal. Um, and that's where we play in the marketplace. I've had the opportunity uh, to, to work with and consult with buyers and sellers of, of businesses, not in the same way, but, but it, something that I always talk to them about is the deal, right? It's not necessarily about the sale, it's about the deal. And I've talked to, to some buyers and say, look, did you know that you could, you could effectively pay twice as much for this company as anybody else if you structure it properly? And I've had the same conversation with sellers. If, if, a, if a business is worth a million dollars, if you can pay $2 million for it and still make it profitable, would you want to do that? And it, it's the education process. Like you work with a lot of students teaching them your process on how to buy, but talk to us a little bit about the education process that you use on the sales side to open the eyes of those sellers to understand that it's not just about finding someone that either has cash to plop down or someone that can get uh, you know, a bank to finance an entire purchase, that there's another way. Talk to us about that education process on the sell side. Yeah, okay, so, so the education process, just to give you 30 seconds on that, what, what kind of happened was about four years ago, uh, and bearing in mind I, I was probably eight years into buying and selling my own businesses, sometimes on my own, sometimes with partners, and I was starting to get inundated with people wanting me to teach them how to do this. And so I decided to, to do that, to create a system. And what's really interesting, Adam, when I created my, my system, my, my dealmaker CEO um, training system, it made me a better dealmaker, which is really crazy. You know, I, I've done over 330 deals in 28 years, $48 billion worth of transactions. And once I created my system, which I use to teach my entrepreneur students, it may be better at what I do. It may be a lot more mechanical. It took a lot of the emotion out of what I do and allowed me to apply a lot more logic because you know, to teach somebody that's never bought a business before how to actually do it step by step, um, obviously you've got to go into a lot of detail and, and map it all out as a journey. And that actually may be better at what I do. So, so we, we launched our program um, 2016. Uh, so we're five and a half thousand people uh, across all of our different programs. We have loads of different levels for people to come in. We have an entry level program and then all the way up to our academy members where we, 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 we do, um, you know, weekly group mentoring with them. And what's interesting is deals are at, at this level, the deals are actually 90% psychology and only 10% numbers. So I, I call it the perfect deal-making triad. You know, every deal, the, the perfect deal for you is going to be very different to the perfect deal for me or the next guy or the next gal. But all deals have got to tick three boxes. So the first thing is that the, the deal has got to be in your lane. So if you're buying your very first business, um, you need to do a deal in a sector that you know and that you understand and, and that you can add value to and you're really passionate about. So, you know, if you're a sales guy for IBM, go and buy a technology business. You know, if you're a web designer for somebody, go buy a web design firm. You know, don't buy a laundromat or a gas station. Uh, buy something that you know and that you understand because it allows you to build a really deep relationship with the seller of the business 
and to be then able to negotiate a, a deal, you know, that, that, that is a win-win situation. Because when you're, when you're buying a business, there, there are three ways that you can finance a deal. So the, the, the first, and I've never done an LBO without this, is seller financing. So it's like a lease to buy model. So you're effectively paying for all or part of the business. It's generally part of the business. Um, you're paying for it over time, whether it's one year, five years, you can pay monthly, quarterly, annually, but you're using the business's cash flow that's generated to make those payments. So the business is effectively paying for you to buy it. And that's called seller financing. In, in Europe, it's called deferred consideration. In Australia, it's called vendor financing. But it all means the same thing. You're using the business's cash flow to buy the business from the seller. Now, in a lot of cases, the seller wants a closing payment, even if it's just to cover their closing costs. And that closing payment can come from two different places. More commonly, it comes from the financial resources of the business. So the assets of the business, like its cash, its real estate, its plant and equipment, even its inventory, and also its receivables. So receivables financing is really the rocket fuel of leverage buyout because it's the quickest, cheapest form of debt financing that you can get into a deal to allow you to make a closing payment. A closing payment is what you pay the seller the day you assume ownership of the business, then the seller financing is what you're paying after that over a determined period of time to true up, to make up the total value of the deal. So the third element of that then is equity. So if you have some of your own money, you can put some of your own money into the deal. I personally don't do that. I'd rather partner with somebody that can also add some value to my business. So I would go and partner with an angel investor that really knows and understands that sector and can add value to my deal and can add value to that business. So I will sell that investor a minority share of the opportunity um, in return for some cash, which then makes up that equity portion of the deal. So those are the three ways that, that you finance the deal. But one of the biggest questions I get asked all the time, uh, and it might be on your list, is how do you value a business? And what's really interesting is a lot of people get really hung up on valuation. You know, how much am I paying for this business? And, and valuation is nowhere near as important, Adam, as the structure of the deal. Um, you know, if you look at valuation multiples, the, the average for a small business in the United States in, in 2019 was about 2.5 times the free cash flow. So if you're, if you're a business doing a million dollars in revenues and you're generating $100,000 of free cash flow, so a 10% margin, your business is worth around a quarter of a million dollars, subject to a few little minor adjustments that you know I won't bore your listeners with going into that detail. But so that, that's roughly what a business is worth. Now, if, if the business has no assets and the business has no ability to raise any financing, I might pay five times for that business. I might say to the seller, look, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you $500,000 for this business, but I'm going to pay you over eight years 
which means that I've still got a little bit of that cash flow left for me before I even start to grow that business. So a seller can make a lot more money selling a company by agreeing to park some, or in some cases, all of the payments into the future. So the kind of the big takeaway there is the structure of a deal is considerably more important than the valuation or you know the headline price that you're going to pay. I I, I love the fact that I I was right that. Um... What I had in my head is, is exactly what you do. We're talking with Carl Allen on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast, talking about buying and selling businesses and the opportunity to experience your own entrepreneurial journey without starting from scratch, but buying something that, that's ongoing. And, and Carl, following up on the, the, the deal structure and um, versus valuation, when if you went to a business broker, I mean, you said you started your own, your own business brokerage and that's where this all started, but you probably work with other business brokers that are, that are listing deals today. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but they're the gatekeeper, right? They're, yeah. they, they've got it listed in whatever business broker magazine or in the newspaper or on websites, wherever they list their stuff. And it exactly. says that million dollar revenue business, we want X, $300,000 cash. Yep. The structure is going to come in either with a very, very good business broker, but more likely getting past that business broker as the gatekeeper and talking to the owner themselves. How yep. do people, or how do you and your students navigate to actually get to that, what, you know, the economic buyer, the person whose pockets are benefited by this conversation that may never happen because they're, they're trusting just like a real estate agent. The, the real estate agent doesn't always bring deals and the owners never have the opportunity to say, Hey, let's negotiate this out. How do you navigate that process? Yeah. So, uh, so that's one of the big differences between a real estate deal and a, a business deal. So in a business deal, uh, you absolutely have to talk in detail with, with the owner of the business, because there's a lot of things about the business that you really need to kind of understand in terms of its strategy, its growth, the opportunities, the, the strengths and weaknesses in the business, the, you know, the outlook, the future forecast. You can't get that from the broker. You need to get that from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And you have to get that information directly from the business owner. So business owner conversations happen all the time, whether there's a broker involved or not. But what I would say is brokers are actually my least favorite place to find deals. Um, you can get great deals from brokers. I'd rather build a network and leverage deals from, from my own private network or, or do direct approaches or leverage social media. We, we can drill into some of those methods later if you want. But back to brokers. Brokers on average only sell about one in 20 businesses. So we have a little kind of trick with brokers. What we tend to do is we find out how long the business has been listed for sale. And we wait till at least six months, ideally nine. Once we've got to that time period, the business broker is starting to feel that this is going to be a real stretch trying to sell this business, you know, anywhere near you know, what might be a premium valuation that they've put on the, on, on, on the business itself. So at that stage, the, the broker's a lot more creative, should I say, and a lot more interested in getting the deal off the books, getting their fee, and helping you work with the seller 
to come up with a structure that, that's going to work uh, for both sides. There's one big caveat to that, and that is called the SBA. So the SBA, which is the Small Business Administration, which is a federal government agency, they have a program called the 7A Loan Program. And what the 7A Loan Program does is it allows the buyer of a business to get up to 90% of the purchase price of the company in debt financing to be able to essentially buy the company pretty much all up front. And when you're in that situation, then you're obviously able to negotiate a lower purchase price for that company because it's, it's the time value of money, isn't it? You know, yep. if you're able to put down the vast majority of the purchase price at closing, you know, the seller's going to get all of that money up front. So you're able to negotiate a, a, a lower overall price. Uh, there are some challenges with SBA. With SBA, you, you need to sign personal guarantees where uh, more likely than not you don't with the other types of financing I talked about before. You need to have a reasonably good credit because with SBA, you as the buyer, the individual, it's your credit rating that's important. Whereas if you're doing traditional asset-based financing, so using real estate, equipment, receivables, inventory, et cetera, raising equity, it's the business's credit that's important, not yours as the individual. Um, and with the SBA, you have to put a little bit of skin in the game, uh, on average around 10%. So if you're buying a business worth 300 grand, um, you know, you need to come up with $30,000 of your own money. Or, as I said before, go partner with somebody that has that cash that can maybe even help you in the business uh, going forward. That's great. And, and you've really laid it out beautifully in the, the process of, of how these things can work. But I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening that are saying, yeah, this makes sense, but, but where do I start? So, Carl, where do they start? Yeah, so... A great thing that they can do is I, I've actually created a book. I, I, I wrote a book on this entire topic, um, which is is called No Money Down Business Buying Secrets. So it, it's kind of my, my my life journey. It's not the autobiography that you uh, you suggested <laughs> I write, which I think is a great idea, by the way. But it's basically my proprietary 10-step formula for de deciding what type of business you should buy, finding those businesses, negotiating a deal, structuring a deal, building a relationship with an owner and basically closing that deal, getting it over the line and then what to do with the business once you've owned it. So um, I think the book's $30 on Amazon. Um, we've got a special $5 link for anybody in your network that's curious about this, wants to learn kind of, you know, the, the basic understanding of how it works and, and also what it takes to do it. You know, this isn't for everybody. Um, it's not for the faint hearted, you know, it takes some work, it takes some dedication, it, it takes some focus. Um, it, it's what I call a, a get rich slow scheme. Um, this isn't something where you can read a book or, or buy a training course and three hours in, you know, you own a million dollar cash flowing business. This, this takes three to four months of, of, of work. You can do it part time. It's not a full time thing. Um, you know, six to 10 hours a week 
and uh, and, and and you're golden. But uh, it requires some work and it requires some some mastery. Like like anything in life, you know, anything good in life that you want, you have to work for it. And and my stuff is 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 no different. So I don't want people to think this is like a walk in the park. Um, it, it it takes some time and some effort. Uh, I've made it very simple to follow. Just need to have some some dedication to to go through it. So if uh, if they go to trainwithcarl.com forward slash mba, so trainwithcarl.com forward slash m for Mike, b for Brian, a for Alpha, uh, they can get a five dollar uh, version of my book, No Money Down Business Buying Secrets, and that's a a great primer to this industry and you know what it really takes to be able to uh, to do this that's awesome i appreciate you you offering that it sounds um like i better go get that book and and <laughs> one of the reasons why, why i think it's so interesting is, is the 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 process right it's not about just like we said it's not about the deal it's about the structure in this way it's not about buying your business it's about learning how to analyze businesses it's about taking the opportunity. I was actually on a phone call last night with some friends that are investing in, uh, in a, a opportunity. And I wasn't on the call to be part of that investment group because it doesn't fit my personal desires, but I like to listen to what is, what are they asking for? What's the industry? What's the structure? And read, if you read the book and then go find a business to, to analyze, right? You analyze it. You don't have to buy it, right? You can just analyze it and then you learn a little bit more and and step and helps you step into that three to four month process of really becoming um, a, an educated person on this so you can feel comfortable buying your own business, correct? Correct. Love it. Love it. As we as we wrap up here, you know, now people have an, an idea of of what it is you do, how to do it. I want to talk just really quickly about the management of multiple businesses. You said you've got businesses in England, you've got businesses in the UK, you've got businesses in the States, you've got partners. Yep. Um, I don't know how to word this necessarily, but that's a lot of stuff that you have to then manage. That's a whole skill set that's yep. separate from what we're talking about in the entrepreneurial space or in buying a business. How do people begin to structure that side or, or more specifically, how do you, how did you structure the, now I own five different businesses and I've got to wear five different hats depending on my particular role and the partners and the structure of that deal. How did you build that for yourself and how do you train your students to do so as well? Yeah, sure. So it, it starts with a very simple question um, that I ask of all my students. And the question I ask them is, do you want to be an owner manager or an owner investor if you're and, and th there's no right or wrong answer it depends on who you are and what you do there are some entrepreneurs that um, you know we all know that starting a business from scratch is is just crazy that the failure rates are just incredible so that, that that's why most people don't do it so there are some people though that they're itching to buy a business and go in there and run it be the driver of that bus be in there every day as, as the owner operator and, and, and running that business as, as the CEO, as, as, the, as the general manager of that business. And that is completely fine. On the other side though, as an owner investor, you can own multiple businesses and you can have partners in those businesses 
that are driving the bus for you. And what that means, Adam, is that as an owner investor, you get to work on the business, not in the business. So your job as an owner investor is all about the strategy, the vision. Um, it's all about doing deals, whether you're buying businesses, making joint venture deals, you know, selling your business, you know, merging businesses together. You know, as, as a deal maker, as an owner investor working on your business, that's your job. Your job is not to go in to that business and, and drive it, to manage it day to day and do all, all the tactical, all the technical work that's done inside of that business working in the business not on the business and there's no right or wrong answer uh, it depends on who you are and, and, and what you want to do so clearly if you want to be an owner in uh, if you want to be an owner manager or, or an owner operator um, it's pretty hard for you to own more than one business if you want to be an owner investor like me you, you can own multiple businesses and then it's all about um, having a good strategy knowing um, what you want the business to achieve, putting the right people in the right seats inside of those businesses to drive them and, and do the work for you. And then it's all about uh, being able to, um, to performance manage the businesses using like balanced scorecards. So, and, you know, people say to me, you know, what's a balanced scorecard? And I, I say, well, you know, imagine you're on a desert island and, you know, you're lying on the beach and it's really sunny. And once a week, a little guy rows over in a boat and he, he moors onto the side of the beach and he walks up out of the boat and he hands you a single piece of paper and then he gets back in his boat. And he does that once a week. And on that piece of paper, there are 10 numbers or data points that will give you the absolute heartbeat pulse financial health of your business. You know, and I, I teach my students how to understand what those numbers are. So if you're remote from your business, like I, I own a business in Australia um, and I go there probably twice a year, but I know everything that's going on in that business in real time uh, through my dashboards, which are really easy to set up and monitor. So you, you, one of the big misconceptions, Adam, is that if you buy a business, you have to go in and run it. You don't. Uh, I've never done that. Um, I've, ne I've never run a business that I've acquired. I've always got people involved. And a lot of those people actually can come from within the business you buy. There might be a really good manager in that business. When I bought the transport company, you know, there were three of them and I gave them each 10% of the company. There was a great sales manager, great financial controller, uh, and a great operations manager. So one was directing the fleet. The other one was selling to customers. And the third one was pulling all the strings and making sure financially we were healthy. So they were all my partners and they were running the business for me. Um, I just had my 10 numbers that I would track every single week to make sure that uh, we were doing the right things. And when we weren't, my scorecards would tell me and we could make course corrections on a weekly basis. And you just painted the perfect life for a lot of people. And now they have a mentor to get there and a, and a path to there. Thanks, Carl. I, I love this conversation. We could go for another hour, uh, but I, I, <laughs> I really appreciate the way you outlined it and, and just a different way of thinking, something different than that people can do to keep that entrepreneurial dream, that entrepreneurial spirit going, but do so in a different way. I really appreciate your time and your knowledge. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. 
You're very welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.